Hey guys, it's Ellie, and this is Classic Mysteries. On this week and the next couple weeks, I think, are going to be a little bit different. Because I know I said last week that I would be beginning the sequel to The Murders in the Rue Morgue. Um, but you know what? <laughs> it's the holidays. And so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to give myself a little bit of a break and maybe try something new. So this week and I think the next two episodes are going to be really short. Partially just to give myself a break because I hate missing weeks entirely. I always want to give you guys something, but you know, these episodes are less work for me, so it's still a bit of a break. Also, I wanted to try something new. So what I'm going to be reading are Minute Mysteries. So I'm sure you've heard of them before. They're just like little riddles, little, you know, mini things. They're only like a couple of pages long. They're like little logic puzzles, basically. So I found a book of them that's in the public domain, so I'm going to be reading them. I'm going to be doing a couple of them per episode, I think. And uh, yeah. Actually, what I wanted to do after this little three-week thing that I'm going to be doing with these Minute Mysteries, I wanted to make a mini-episode every week, maybe on, like, Thursday or Friday. So you get two episodes a week for me instead of one. So that means on Monday you'd get the normal long episodes of me actually reading a novel, and then maybe on, like, Thursday or Friday you'd get a short little Minute Mysteries episode for me. So I thought that was a good idea. Email me if you uh, have some other ideas of stuff that I could do. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit more fun stuff to listen to. <laughs> and also, I want to see if I'm any good at these mini minute mystery things. I remember I got a book of these back when I was in like third grade or something, and I was really bad at them, obviously, because they're like really nitpicky kind of logic puzzles. So yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. I hope that I'll be good at them. This book is called Minute Mysteries by H.A. Ripley. They also call the Minute Mysteries Detectograms, which I think is a fun word. <laughs> Pretty sure it's made up, but it's still a fun little word to say. So there are over a hundred little minute mysteries in this book, so this book will last me a while. So we're gonna start just with number one, and it's called A Crack Shot. So, with no more waffle, let's get started. A Crack Shot. Professor Fordney was hunting in the Rockies when informed of a tragedy at one of the camps. Thinking he might be of some help, he went over, and, after introducing himself, Butler, the victim's companion, told him of the accident. When Marshall hadn't returned to camp at 9 o'clock last night, I was a bit worried because he didn't know these mountains. There wasn't a star out, and it was dark and moonless, so I decided to look around for him. We're five miles from anyone, you know. Putting more wood on the fire, I set out. After searching for an hour, I was coming up the slope of a ravine when I saw a pair of eyes shining out at me in the dark. Calling twice and getting no answer, I fired, thinking it was a mountain lion. Imagine my horror when I reached the spot, struck a match, and saw I had nearly blown the head off Marshall. A terrible experience. I carried his body back to camp and then walked to the nearest house to report the accident. How far from camp did you find Marshall? Asked Fordney. About a quarter of a mile. I see your right hand is bandaged. How did you manage to shoot with it? Oh, I use either hand. Mind if I look at the gun? Not at all, said Butler, handing it over. Hmm, European make, I see. Had it long? No, it's rather new. Why did you deliberately murder Marshall? demanded Fordney, abruptly. For that's what you did. How did the professor know he had murdered his companion? Gosh, uh, so this is gonna be difficult. I think the two most important things is that the gun is of European make, and that his right hand was bandaged. And, uh, hmm. I think it is strange that he was out searching for an hour, and then he found his friend only a quarter mile away. Like... I guess if you're in the forest, it might be hard to see, especially if it's really dark. But, like, an hour? <laughs> and, like, if that was Marshall, and he really, like, okay. So, if we remember right, then, 
I'm, I'm looking at it right now. The butler saw a pair of eyes shining out at him in the dark, right? He called, and he got no answer, so he fired. But why wouldn't Marshall answer? Was he already dead? <laughs> Did this even happen in the first place? Uh, hmm. So, let's just look at the solution here, because I am at a loss. Uh, so here's what the solution says. It was a dark, starless, moonless night. The nearest habitation was five miles. The eyes of no animal ever shine in the dark unless there is a light by which they can be reflected, and a man's eyes never shine under any circumstances. Therefore, Butler could not possibly have seen any eyes shining at him in the dark. It was clearly murder. Wow. <laughs> I did not even think about that. I was thinking about, like, the hand and the gun and, like, the fact that he didn't call back, and I wasn't even thinking about that. Oh my goodness. That solution was staring me right in the face. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's do the second one. Maybe we'll do, like, uh, three or four of these. I don't know. Alright. This is number two. On the scent. I couldn't wait to be announced, said George Collins, Florida's foremost prohibition agent, and a great wit as he stepped into the professor's office. How long are you going to be in New York? asked Fordney, as the two friends shook hands. I'm due back in Miami now, replied Collins, but I wanted to congratulate you on your success in the Hicks murder case. I wish interesting things like that would happen in my game. However, I did have an amusing experience last December. Sneaky Joe, a stool pigeon, tipped me off to a huge still he said was working about 40 miles from headquarters. A narrow road through dense woods led to the spot. Arriving there, I found an old dilapidated shanty screened by trees. As I entered the woods, I had smelled alcohol. Sneaky Joe was right, after all, I thought, as I drove up to the shanty. I got out and peered cautiously around, but the place seemed deserted. After opening the door and entering the house, however, I knew liquor was not being made there. I searched the woods, but found nothing. As I was driving back along the road at a good rate, I discovered the alcohol I smelled was coming from my own radiator. Imagine my chagrin! The professor laughed heartily and said to his friend, Stay over for my birthday party tonight. The ladies would love to hear that yarn of yours. What did the professor find preposterous in Collins's story? Okay. So, <laughs> again, I have very little uh, knowledge of how alcohol is made, let alone during Prohibition when people just like made it in their bathtubs and stuff. I don't completely understand this because I'm not well versed in how alcohol works or how car engines work. Why would he have smelled alcohol only as he entered the woods, and not before when he was in his car? And yeah, so it says, as I entered the woods, I smelled alcohol. So if it was in your radiator, why didn't you smell it before? You know? Although he also does say he opened the door and entered the house, and he knew liquor was not being made there. It doesn't say anything about like him having searched the house or anything. So it just seems like he immediately knew that there was no liquor there. Maybe that was just because it's a short story and they couldn't add any details, but that's something that I find strange. Uh, Alright, let's 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 look at the solution, shall we? This is the solution right here. Not even a prohibition agent would use alcohol in an automobile radiator in or about Miami. Yeah, see? <laughs> Again, I don't know how engines work, let alone radiators, but I know that they have liquid in them. So I guess alcohol might work, but like, you know. <laughs> I don't get it. Alright. This is what happens when you have a young person reading books from the 1920s and um, they have no context for what's happening. <laughs> Alright, let's do a third one. Number three, fatal error. Crowley was an eccentric and taciturn old fellow, but I liked him, remarked Fordney. When he was found dead last December, I took a personal interest in the case. 
Harold Bronson, his last known caller, had this to say of his visit. After leaving word at my hotel where I might be reached if wanted, I arrived at Crowley's suburban estate shortly after five o'clock. I found him seated in the dusk at the end of his library table. Courteously enough for him, he waved me into a chair at the other end and invited me to dine with him at eight o'clock. Reaching for my cigarettes, I remembered that Crowley did not permit smoking. His principal contributions to our discussion were his usual nods of approval, grunts, and monosyllables. Very sparing of words was Mr. Crowley. About seven o'clock, the telephone rang and he asked me to answer it. It was my wife asking me to return at once to see an unexpected visitor. Finishing the conversation, I returned to my chair and, after I explained the call, Crowley nodded assent to my request to leave immediately. On the way out, as the lights had not been turned on, I bumped my head, which explains this bruise. Just as I reached the door, he called after me, See you tomorrow at ten. He was certainly alright when I left him shortly after seven. Although Bronson's telephone alibi was later proved sound, he had hardly finished his story before I was convinced he was implicated, concluded Fordney. What directed suspicion to Bronson? Hmm, okay. Just these few pages should have all of the context that we need. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. So, in the first sentence of Bronson's, uh, Bronson's account, he says that he left word at the hotel where he was staying. Um, but later he says that he was called by his wife to return. So, maybe they're both staying in a hotel? I don't know. Um... Oh, man. I think that might have something to do with it. How, like, he's staying in a hotel or something like that. Uh, let's see. Oh. So he arrived at Crowley's estate just after five, right? Crowley waved him into a chair and invited him to eat dinner with him at eight. But then he left at shortly after seven. So why did he skip dinner? <laughs> I think that might be it, actually. Oh my goodness, did I get one? Hold up, wait. <laughs> did I get- oh my gosh, I'm so proud of myself. I don't know if that's right, but I think it is strange that he skipped dinner. And Crowley, as he describes it in his story, Crowley was like, oh yeah, no problem, you have a good day. Um, but he skipped dinner, so wouldn't Crowley be like, wait, why are you leaving now, you know? Oh man, I'm so proud of myself. Let's read it and see if I got it right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is the solution right here. The professor knew it would take a keener pair of eyes than Bronson's to see a nod in the dark. The lights had not been turned on, remember? Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's totally different. See, I can never get one of these right, because they're just so randomly nitpicky. I feel like the timing thing could have done it, though. Let's see, I can't remember when it says that the, that the lights weren't on. Hold up. Oh. Oh, yeah, 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 here. So it says, on the way out, as the lights had not been turned on, I bumped my head. Okay, so you were just chilling out in a dark library for two hours? Okay, well, whatever works, I guess. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it doesn't mention that the lights are off until he leaves. So we, we, didn't, we can't really make the connection between the nod that he wouldn't be able to see and the lights being off because they weren't in that order. So, wow. <laughs> That's really random. I feel like the timing thing is better, it's more solid, but it could also not be solid at all. Maybe he meant eight the next day, or something completely different, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, uh, that's gonna be the episode for today, and um, yeah, that was nice. I'll be recording the next two episodes for the next two weeks, actually today, um, because I'm gonna be out of town, so I just want to get them done and recorded. 
But yeah, also, I actually wanted to mention something that I don't usually mention. I'm not much of a self-promoter, but I just wanted to mention that I do have an Etsy store. And um, I sell I sell cute little cross-stitched earrings. They're like little 3D, like little hamburgers and little fries. And I have some taco ones too. I also make little miniatures and oh my goodness, they're adorable. So if you want to check that out, I'll put a link in the show notes, I guess. And um, yeah, LEN Things, that's my Etsy store. Go check that out. If you want to indirectly support the show, feel free. Get some earrings. I don't know. Earrings are fun to make, and I don't really get orders that often because they don't really advertise. So, yeah. Anyway, I hope you have a happy new year. I'm actually recording this on Christmas Eve, so it's not actually Christmas for me yet. But I hope you guys have a great day. So, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next Monday. Bye!